The Truth About Money, part two. Uh, here's the title. When God is first, it's never cursed. Ooh, we're gonna talk about the tithe, and I know you're excited about that, amen? And if you are not in-house, we're gonna go to waterschurch.guide. It looks like that. And you click on today's message, and the notes are digitally available to you right there. The Truth About Money, part two. When God is... Oh, can I get through more than two people to say it? When God is, it's never, do it again. And when God is, it's never, now start swaying. When God is, all right, good, I'm getting you laughing. That's good, because we're gonna talk about how we're gonna get your money. Amen, okay. No, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing, all right. Why do I, stupid, stupid, stupid. Okay, anyway, here we go. Anyway, um, this is uh, November 13th. And two days ago, we had a very special day in America. November 11th is Veterans Day. Unfortunately, our, our country celebrates what they shouldn't and kind of forgets and ignores what they should celebrate. Um, so <clears throat> I want us to celebrate our veterans today. And the reason why is because we're gonna learn that Abram, the father of our faith, was a veteran, was a military veteran. So here's what I wanna do at all locations, okay? And, what you have to know about our Apollo Beach location is that it's almost all veterans. So, so we want to honor them too, especially. If you are a veteran, we want you to stay standing and everybody, uh, stay sitting, stay sitting, and everybody else stand up and let's give them some honor. Can we give some honor to our veterans? Thank God for your service. Thank God for your sacrifice. We are, we are here because of you. We thank you. We love you. We support you. We pray for you. We value you. Amen, 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 yeah. Yes. Thank God. Stay standing, and I'd ask the veterans now at all locations to join us in standing as we read God's word. Uh, Genesis chapter 14, a very interesting passage of scripture. It's about a war, it's about a battle. Uh, Abram's dwelling in the land of the promise. And his nephew Lot gets stolen in the middle of a war and Abram has to spring into action, go into the battle and rescue his nephew Lot. And it's verse 13 where we're picking up the story or actually verse 14 we're picking up the story. It says, when Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men born in his house, 318 of them, and went and pursued as far as Dan, and he divided the forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the war, uh, it says this, the king of Sodom, the king of Sodom, the king of Sodom went out to meet him, this is Abram, at the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, king of Salem, so king of Sodom and the king of Salem, Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you 
king of Sodom, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. This is God's word. Let's pray together and dig into it. Heavenly Father, I ask that you're speaking through me today. I ask God that my words are what you want them to be, that our ears are open, that our hearts are receptive, that our eyes are lifted up the current cultural conditions of our world, and we stare into heaven and we see you, God most high. And help us, Lord, to know that you are our provider and you are our protector and you are our sure and certain reward. And we ask that we might see Jesus. In his name we pray and everybody said... Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Good news. Waters Church, we had a wonderful, wonderful opening at our South Coast location. Uh, we also started a message series on the truth about money. So South Coast is our sixth location. It opened last Sunday, grand opening last Sunday. They'd been doing practice services before then. So now they finally got it right. We had a full service. And, uh, and so I was there in person. I was here on video and uh, everywhere else on video. We had 180 people show up to the grand opening of our South Coast location. I think the highest grand opening number we've ever had in any of our locations. But the best part was we had 12 people get saved at our South Coast locations last weekend. And locations wide, church wide, on a weekend where I started talking about money, we had 44 people say yes to Jesus at all locations of Waters Church. For some reason, a lot of people get saved when I talk about money. And when I talk about money, people don't get offended, and I don't know why, because I offend everybody with everything else. But this subject, I don't know. Uh, so we're gonna talk about something that I have practiced my whole life. It's called the tithe. That's why the title of the message is When God is First, It's Never Cursed. It is something that I watched my parents um, practice. My parents were not ministers. They were not, uh, or at least hired by the church. My father was a truck driver. He would get up at 4 a.m., and he would come home at 8 p.m. every night. He worked hard. My mother was a social worker. She was a high school math teacher, and then she had kids, and it you know, kind of rearranged her life, and she became a social worker. And so that's their story. And what they always did, though, was they put God first. Here's how you raise great kids. Bring them to church. You're there already. You should be clapping for yourself, for heaven's sake. My, my parents never took me to baseball over uh, Sunday service. Never took me out of soccer over Sunday service. God's house came first. I'm the result of that. And I remember coming, my father coming home late at night. He would have a cold dinner plate reheated in the microwave and sit down at the dinner table, and then he would do the checks, pay the bills, and he would open up. How many remember those three check binders. Remember the three check binders? And then the little memo thing on the left that you would tear it away, the tab, so that you could remember. This was before the days of these devices. You know what I'm saying? We used to have something called paper. How many remember that? And uh, so anyway, he would write the checks out. And I remember him writing out the check to the church, one of the largest checks every month. And there he would put it next to it in a little tab, tithe. I would watch, I was a 10-year-old kid, I'd watch this happen. And there was no question in my mind, my father and my mother said, God's house comes first. They retired at the age of 62. He was a truck driver, didn't make a lot of money. My mother didn't make a lot of money, social worker, but they managed to put God first, budget their finances, make sure that they didn't overextend themselves in ex excessive living. And they retired at the age of 62 to the great free state of Florida. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. I couldn't help myself. And they've been living there ever since, and they have been enjoying the last 20 plus years in retirement because God blesses those who put him first. I watched it, I picked up on it, I do it. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything that I don't do, and I'm gonna ask you by the end of this message that you try it. And I'm gonna make an offer. Try it for three months. If it doesn't work, we'll give you your money back. And I mean that. I've done this before. I am so confident that God is good. He's gonna prove himself faithful. He's gonna bless your socks off. And you're gonna see that there's no possible way you can ever outgive our generous God. So let's get to the text. Let's talk about this. In Genesis chapter 14, war breaks out. Why does war break out? It says that the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. Look what it says in verse 12. They also took who? Lot. What a weird name, by the way. Lot was Abram's what? Nephew, the son of his brother. And he was dwelling in Sodom. And his possessions and all his stuff were taken in this war that broke out against the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. How did Lot, Abram's nephew, end up in Sodom? Well, the scripture says, all you gotta do is back up one chapter to Genesis chapter 15, and you will see that what happened, 13, sorry, and you will see that what happened was there was a fight between Abram and Lot's herdsmen, their, their shepherds, if you will. And, and Abram takes the high road and he says, listen, Lot, this shouldn't continue. We shouldn't fight like this. We're family. So you pick the plane that you want. I'll pick the plane that you don't choose. I will take whatever's left over. Abram takes the high road. And the Bible says in Genesis 13 that Abram looked at the valley of Jordan and he saw that it was well watered and it looked like Edom, Eden and it looked like Egypt and it looked prosperous and successful and it looked like a place where he could get ahead. And so he chose for himself the plain of the Jordan and then it says further that he settled on the far side of the plain toward the city of Sodom. What, what Lot wanted was the good life. What, what, what Lot wanted was the high-end neighborhood, the blessings that this world could give him. And so he decides to settle near Sodom. He should be in the promised land. He should be close to his uncle Abram. He should be where God's blessing is, but he's got a wandering eye and he wants to be where the good life is. And wouldn't you know, war breaks out and he's caught up in the middle of it and he's taken captive. And all of his stuff is taken captive. It's a symbol, it's a story, it's a picture for you and for me that if we choose to follow the mantras and the messagings of this world, we will fall for a lie and before we know it, we're caught up in the conflict of this age. And what we are seeing in our country right now, what we're seeing in our world right now is we're seeing conflict over money, conflict over who's got what, and the rich are blamed by the poor, and men are blamed by women, and old people are blamed by young people because everybody's got a beef with someone else for why they don't got the good life that they deserve. And this past Tuesday, we went to the polls and we voted, and now all the news is coming out that there was one major issue that young women voted on, and the issue was the, uh, the issue of abortion. Because abortion has been turned into a political issue, I don't understand how, but it's been turned into a political issue and a false promise that if you have the ability to put to death your unwanted pregnancy, then you will prosper. 
And that is where we are as a country. And this is where I see a lot of Christians getting caught up and a lot of Christians are like Lot and they're getting up in that camp thinking, yes, I think I should have autonomy over my life so that I can chase and pursue the good life. But we are not, if you're a Christian, of this world. We do not belong to America. We belong to heaven and our citizenship is with Jesus and we know that he's coming back and he's gonna set things right. And so we don't put our trust in politicians or in Democrats or Republicans, we put our trust in him. But a lot is a picture for us of how easy it is to get caught up in chasing the good life and then before you know it, you've lost your life. And so Abram springs into action. He goes into the battle, he fights. Did you see that he's got 318 men in his house? 318 men in his house. Do you know what that makes Abram? Rich. He's very rich. I don't got 318 men in my house. Anybody got 318 men? This guy's phenomenally rich. Riches are not evil. Rich people are not automatically evil. Neither are poor people automatically virtuous. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? (laughs) Scripture says in Leviticus, do not bend justice for the rich or the poor. And so Abram springs into action. He's got 318 men and he springs into action and he fights the battle and he wins and he brings back all the possessions. He brings back all of Lot's possessions. Moreover, he brings back all of Sodom's possessions. And Sodom at this point was a wicked city. It says it in Genesis 13. A wicked, rebellious city toward God. But Sodom, but, but Abram has a heart for his crazy nephew and he goes and he saves him and brings him back. He's won a battle and he's got the blessing. But here's the deal about it. After the battle, physically, comes the battle spiritually. And I don't know if you saw what I saw, but he was met by two kings. Two kings come and see Abram on the heels of his great blessing. Look with me at verse 19, it says this, and Melchizedek, that's the first one. He blessed him. He blessed him and said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high. Look at that next line, who has what? Who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And what, what, what Melchizedek is telling Abram is, listen, Abram, you won, but God did it. Blessed be God and blessed be Abram because God has given Abram's enemies into Abram's hand. And Abram responds by giving him the tithe. The tithe starts with Abram. People say the tithe is the law. No, the tithe starts 500 years before the law with a guy named Abram. Abram commenced the tithe. His grandson Jacob, two generations later, continued the tithe, said, Lord, if you're gonna bless me, I'm gonna give you a tenth of everything. That's in Genesis 28. Moses shows up 500 years later and then he commands the tithe in the law. And then Jesus shows up hundreds of years later, 2,000 years later almost, and he commends the tithe in Matthew 23, 23, saying to the Pharisees, you've got a problem because you tithe, but you don't care about people. He says, I want you to care about people and tithe. That's Matthew 23, 23. So Abram commenced the tithe. Jacob continued the tithe. Moses commanded the tithe. Jesus commended the tithe. Who am I to cancel the tithe? And so Abram gives him a tenth because he is acknowledging, this is what he's doing, he's acknowledging, you're right, Melchizedek. I got this blessing, but I got it because God gave it to me. And then shortly after Melchizedek arrives, another king arrives, the king of Sodom, verse 21. And the king of Sodom comes to Abram with a deal. He says, you just give me the persons. I just, look at what what Sodom wants. 
He wants the what? The people. What did we talk about last week? That the enemy wants you. The government wants you. The government wants to control you. The government wants to own you. The government wants you dependent because a good dependent population is a controllable population. And you've got to remind yourself of this continually lest you fall into the lies of the enemy. Give me the persons, but take the, I'll pay you for the people. That's the enemy's strategy since the Garden of Eden. I'll give you what you want as long as I can have you. This is the spiritual battle for finances in our lives. And we've got to break free from it. We've got to break free from it because they always lie and they always deceive. Our president promised our, sport, our poor, uh, highly indebted young people who've got student loans through up to the, up to the mountaintops today that if, if you vote for them, you're going to get through student loan forgiveness. And then two days after the election, hello, lawsuit was brought. This judge stopped the whole program. Millennials and Gen Z, welcome to American democracy. They promise what they never provide. And I hope you're listening and learning. Learn quick, because it's gonna happen to you over and over and over again. But you gotta put your trust not in the government and not in the people and not in the kings of this age. You gotta put your trust in the God who made you and can bless you. Here's what Abram, though, is gonna experience, and here's what, here's what he experienced, here's what we're all gonna experience. He comes out of the battle, he's got the blessing, and two kings meet him, the king of Salem, the king of peace. Salem means peace. Ancient city of Salem might have been Jerusalem. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Melchizedek is a picture, it's a picture of Christ. Christ is the king of peace. Christ is the king of righteousness. And he comes and he offers bread and wine and he blesses Abram and then Sodom, the king of Sodom. So two kings meet the guy on the heels of the blessing. Here's where I'm getting. I want you to write this down. The question in every blessing is this. Who has made me rich? Every time you get a blessing, you've got to answer this question. Where did this come from? You say, well, I'm not rich. Yes, you are. If you are in America, you are rich. The people in Guatemala are watching us right now, you should see how they live compared to us. You should see how Peru lives compared to us. Dirt floors, sleeping on a cot with maybe one sheet, and they are happy about it. My wife and I were in Soweto, South Africa, where apartheid literally started to break. We were in the middle of that neighborhood filled with children who have hardly anything, and they come running out to the, to the people as they come into the city, smiles on their faces. They don't, got, they don't got Xbox, they don't got PlayStation, they just got smiles. Remember that when you enter into the Christmas shopping season, parents. <laughs> and what you have to understand is that you are rich if you're an American. If you are an American, you're in the top 8% of, of the richest people in the world just by being an American. So America, you got a question, who has made you rich? You say, well, I really worked hard, pastor. I went to school, I put myself through school, I worked extra hours, I did. Yes, but somebody gave you that opportunity. Back up the truck. Well, yes, they helped me out, and yeah, I got the opportunity. Yes, I applied, and they accepted me. Yeah, okay, yeah, but back up the truck even further. Somebody fed you when you were a baby. Somebody produced your goods so that you could survive long enough to get to that education, to get to that opportunity. Oh, and by the way, somebody's providing you with oxygen right now. There's no such thing as a self-made person. No such thing. You are not the result of your efforts. In many cases, you're the result of a bunch of blessings. Some luck, some happenstance, some happy accidents, 
and a bunch of your talent or a bunch of your ability as well that was put in you by others who came before you. And if you back all the way up to the beginning, it all comes from God. And when God was telling the people of Israel to enter into, Israel, into the promised land, he told them in, Genesis, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, he said, you shall remember that it's the Lord your God who gives you the ability to acclaim, to accrue, to accrue wealth. It's not your own doing. It's not your own hand. God is the one who makes me who I am. And don't ever forget it or you'll fall into the traps of this age and fall into the lies of this enemy. This is what you've got to remember. This is what you're going to be asked. Every time you get paid, you get blessed. Every time you get a paycheck, you take a test. And the test is, the first question on the test is, where'd this come from? And the answer's got to be gone. If you want to have your heart right about money, the truth, it all comes from him. And I love when Abram is presented with this moment between the king of Salem and the king of Sodom, that he speaks to the king of Sodom on his offer. Did you hear what he said? When the king of Sodom said, just give me the people, I just want, here, here's the stuff, here. I'll bless you some more, Abram. I'll give you more stuff. Just give me the people. I love what Abram says in verse 22. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've lifted my hand. Ooh, I love that. I've lifted my hand to the Lord, the God most high. Look at what he just says, the possessor of, I know who owns everything. And I lifted my hand to him in a vow and I said, I will never, ever profit, profit and prosper on the heels of this age because I know in who I believe and I know he holds me in his hand. I know he's got all the things in his hand and he's my source, not you. Some of you gotta tell that to yourself right now. Some of you gotta tell that to your spouse right now. Some of you gotta tell that to your mom or daddy or your child right now. You gotta say, God is our source, not this world. God is in charge, not my customers. God is in charge, not my competition and not my government. God holds the world in the palm of his hand and he's got me there too. That's what I gotta do. I gotta settle this in my heart. So I wanna to talk to you about passing the testing of blessing. Number one, three points, we're done. But then point two has three points under that. So what's that, six points? Good, all right, there we go. I must decide first that God is first. I must, and the two firsts are on purpose, okay? I must decide first that God is first. In other words, you have to pre-decide this before the blessing comes. That's what Abram does, doesn't he? He says, I've lifted my hand. Here's the opportunity to get rich on Sodom, Abram, just like your nephew Lot did. Nope, stop. I already made a decision about that. I already made a decision before you came with the offer that you're not my source. And I'm not gonna let you do this. Are you telling me, Pastor, that I should reject getting paid? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you gotta make a decision that ultimately the Lord is the one who provides. He might use the paycheck to do it, but that's just a means to his ultimate ends, and every time we get paid and blessed, we gotta tell him, God, I know this comes from you. I've lifted my hand to the Lord. I've made a decision before. I'm not gonna let this world shape me by promising me the good life. I'm not gonna let my progeny, the people that came before me, 
or after me shape how I handle what God gives me. I, I love this. And then when Melchizedek comes and says, blessed be God, Abram, and blessed, blessed be you, Abram, and blessed be the God who did this for you, uh, the immediate response of Abram is what? Verse 20, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. That's the tithe. He said, okay, this is to you, God. I'm recognizing that. This, and that's how we tell our hearts that it comes from God. This is yours, Lord. This is not from the world, this is yours. Now, Melchizedek is a picture, and Hebrews chapter seven talks about this. He's a picture of Christ. Hebrews chapter seven, verse two says, he, Melchizedek, is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, that's what Melchizedek means, king of Salem, that means king of peace. And then verse three says, he is without um, father or mother or genealogy. Uh, he has neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God. What does, Abra what does Hebrews say? He says, listen, this is what Melchizedek is. He's a picture of Christ. Christ showed up in front of Abram, and Christ got Abram's tenth, and Christ blessed Abram, and Abram acknowledged that only because of the blessing of Christ could he have what he had. Hebrews chapter seven, verse seven says this, it's, in dis it's without dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Here's what we do when we tithe. We tell God, you are the superior one in my life. You are more important than my paycheck. You are more important than the stock market. You are more important than Bitcoin. You are more important than what I think is gonna, no, God, you are superior in my life. What are you telling with your finances is superior? Now, I've met two kinds of people concerning the tithe, two, and every mode of my life has only been two people I've met, the people who can tithe and the people who don't think they can tithe. And it's always the people who can tithe who realize that it is far easier than they originally anticipated to tithe. Because here's what they know about the tithe is in the scriptures. Are you ready for it? Write this down. The tithe is a test. You're like, I hate tests. It's not a test for you. It's a test for God. It's a test for God. And actually, God tells us to test him in it. Look what it says in Malachi chapter three, and I know some of you love this verse. Bring the full tithe. Tithe means 10th. That's what the Hebrew means, Hebrew means, it means tenth. Into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby God says, put me what? To the just circle test there. God's like, I challenge you to challenge me. You're like, doesn't Jesus say that we should not put the Lord our God to the test? Yes, except for when he tells us to do it. <laughs> if he tells you to do it, you got an exception to the rule. Test me and see if I will not, look at this, throw open the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. This is the best thing about God. He can open doors in heaven when doors on earth are closed. Oh, that was a good preacher right there, pastor, amen. He can open doors you can't open. He can open windows you don't know that exist. He can open financial windfalls that are waiting for you to put him first. And, and, and here's the next verse, and I love the next verse. And I will rebuke the devourer for you. Inflation is a devourer. I was amused this week when the news came out that inflation was only 7.7%. And everybody's like, great news, winning. 
Yes, that just means, <laughs> it just means prices are still going way up. They're just not going as high up as they were last month. So yeah, I guess if you want to call that winning, um, is a devourer and is teaching our society to stress about money because they think money is their source. And God says, here's what you do. You put me first and you teach your heart that I'm first. And I will make sure that that inflation number doesn't affect you. I'll rebuke it for you. I don't know about you, but I want God's rebuke over my enemies. I don't know about you, but I want that. I'll rebuke the devourer so that it won't destroy your soil, you won't destroy your field, won't destroy your vine. I'll do that. You put me first. Test me in this. Proverbs 3, 9. And, and I love the fact that people say, well, that's Old Testament, that's Malachi. Okay, let's go to Proverbs 3. You know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Everybody loves Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Love it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own sending. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Oh, I love that promise. That's on my coffee cup. Hallelujah. <laughs> Four verses later, here's where the rubber hits the road with trust in the Lord with all your heart. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Oh, I don't know about that one on my coffee cup. With the first fruits, first fruits of your produce, then all your vines, vats will be filled with wine. Okay, so here's what you do. You do the tithe first. When I get paid, the very first thing out of my paycheck is the tithe, 10%. 10%, right back to this church. I'm not asking you to do anything I don't do. And I've seen God bless me more than I deserve as a result. I've just done it. It's like automatic too. I've put it in my... Um, online banking so it just happens. Because I know that if I have to make the decision every week, I'll have to wrestle in my heart. And if I have a low week financially, I'll have to do a little argument with my, my head. Like, I don't know if I can trust God this week because you know what I'm gonna say, I got a lot of things coming up. It, no, 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 it's already done. It's done, it's happening, it's set. It's not forgotten because it's a lot, but it's set. And it goes first. And then, and we're gonna get to this next week, I save next. And I save 10%. We save, our family saves 10%. So here's how we do it. Give, save, live. We'll talk about that next week. But anyway, 10% first to God. It just happens. And some of you don't do it first, and that's why you don't think you can do it, because here's what you do. First, you say, well, Lord, I will tithe after all my bills are paid. I'm gonna pay my mortgage bill, then my electric bill, then my phone bill, then I gotta buy my kid the Xbox game, and I gotta do all those kinds of blah, 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 blah. Let me just tell you something. Your mortgage company can't bless you. Why do you put it first? Your electric company cannot bless you. Why do you put them first? Your kids cannot bless you. At least for the first 45 years of their life. I don't know if maybe some of you have a testimony you could come up and tell us that this actually turns around in your favor. But anyway, it's amazing how we put the things that stress us before the thing that blesses us. Oh, that was good preaching right there. It's amazing how we put the things that stress us before the person who can bless us. That's how I should have said it. Don't put your stresses before your blesser. And you gotta learn how to do this. He's gotta come first. Otherwise, the proverb would say, honor the Lord with your wealth when you get around to it. It doesn't say that. With the first fruits. In the Old Testament law, firstborn flock comes to me. The Bible says that, Abra that God looked on Adam, I'm sorry, Abel with favor on his offering and did not regard Cain's offering. And I'm always amazed at people who get baffled by that. Why did God look with favor on Abel's offering but not Cain's offering? Well, it's in the text. It's right, it says that Abel brought the firstborn of his flocks to God. 
And then it goes on and it says, and in the course of time, Cain brought some of the produce of his field. In, in, in the course of time, what could be translated, when Cain got around to it, he gave God some leftovers. How do, you, how do you give the one who gave you everything the leftovers of your life? And listen to me very carefully. It's not like God needs it. That, you gotta get that through your head too. And Water's Church doesn't need it. You need to do it. Water's Church is well provided for. We are good. Could be a little bit better, but we're good. We just lost your church. We're, we're, we're broke right now. That's how it works. We stretch ourselves out financially. God blesses that church, and, and then it comes back. But what I'm trying to tell you is that this is not about raising money for the church. This is about an issue of your heart to put God first financially, because here's what I want you to write down. When we honor God financially, we tell ourselves and this world, God is superior. You are my blesser. You come before my stressors. Point number two. I must determine that life with God is better than more. <clears throat> life with God is better than more. This world teaches you constantly, you gotta get more, you gotta get more, you gotta get more. And you gotta have more because if you have more, you'll have more life. That's not true. Like I told you about the kids in Soweto, South Africa, they don't, they don't worry and stress. They have smiles ear to ear. You go down to Guatemala, go on one of our mission trips and meet those kids and you give them a candy, it's like they just won the lottery. And here's what, here's what history teaches Americans better than any other country. Um, getting more oftentimes makes people more miserable. Not all the time, not all, but many times. And I believe you can only handle more when you trust that God is the one that's the source of it all. I do. So three differences between Sodom and Melchizedek. The king of Sodom and Melchizedek um, is a picture of what the devil offers, what the world offers, what God offers. Letter A, God brings simplicity, the world offers complicated luxury. How many of you know this from experience that when you get more, life gets more complicated? I always get a kick out of people who say, well, when I win a lottery pastor, the first thing I'm gonna do is give the church 10%. No, you won't, mm -mm. no, you won't. Stop saying that, stop lying. Because you will do with more what you're currently doing with less. Money does not change you, it just, it just amplifies who you already are. That's all it does. A couple, about a decade ago, this, this area, Florida, this area of Massachusetts, right where we are down the street, this area was shocked and horrified because a New England Patriots player shot someone to death. And then it was exposed about how bad this guy was, how evil, how his heart was dark in such a terrible way. And everybody in this area, right down the street from us is where it happened, about a mile away, literally. And everyone freaked out. And, and the question that kept coming out was, how on earth can somebody with such a great life do that kind of thing? It's not the money. It's who you are with little is who you are with a lot. So get this right in your heart now so that when God blesses you with a lot, you're not changed, you're just generous and blessed and exalting the name of Jesus through your life. That's what you gotta do. And when you think about, I won, uh, when I win the lottery, when you win the lottery, your second cousin twice removed is gonna call you up and ask you for money. And then another one's gonna come tomorrow. And then another one's gonna come tomorrow. Before you know it, you're swallowed up in all of this complication that wasn't there before you got the money. So put God first now to tell him you're first, God. You are my source before anything else. What does Melchizedek bring? He brings out bread and wine, simplicity. 
Bread and wine is a picture of something we should all know. What is that? The picture of communion, the picture of the Lord's table. We'll get to that in just a moment. The king of Sodom offers up this beautiful picture of the good life, but it ends up in in captivity. That's what Lot saw. Genesis chapter 13, verse 10. He lifted up his eyes. He saw the Jordan Valley, well watered. It looked like the good life, and he chased it, and he got caught in it, and he got enslaved by it. And Abram had to come and save him. Letter B, God brings intimacy. The world offers isolation through increase. One of the things they don't tell you is that the more you make, the more lonely you feel. The higher you climb, the more isolated you are. It's very lonely at the top. We all hear those stories. We all hear those lines, but they're true. And the enemy loves to isolate. That's actually his main game. And if he can isolate you through increase, he'll do it. So that you're all alone and you're fighting your own battles and you're fighting your own demons and you have nobody to talk to and nobody to relate to because you, all, you, have to now, you have to now filter every relationship in your life through the lens of, do these people only love me because of my money or do they really care about me? It's very isolating. You've gotta put God first because he brings intimacy. That's what God wants with you. And that's why the, the scripture says that he brought out bread and wine, verse 18 again. He brought out bread and wine. The king of Sodom said, take the goods. But God's king brings bread and wine. Simplicity and intimacy. And the bread and wine is a picture of communion. When Jesus shows up at the Last Supper with the disciples, what does he say in Luke chapter 22, verse 15? He says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I start. I wanna be with you. Jesus is on the, on the heels, on the, on, the, on the threshold of the cross and suffering and being whipped and being his, having his beard pulled out and a crown of thorns shoved in his skull. And he's on the threshold of all that and he tells his disciples, I wanna be with you. This is how I live. This is what really matters to me. I wanna do life with you guys. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what God wants for every single one of you. He wants to do life with you. Some of you are on the threshold of suffering yourself. You gotta put God first so that he's there when you go through it. You gotta put God first so that in your mind you set him up. He is Lord, he is source, he is provider. Not these things of the world. Let her see, God brings eternity. The world offers what's temporary. Where did Lot go? He went to Sodom in Genesis chapter 14. By the way, you wanna hear the real kicker. This is astounding to me. Abram goes into Sodom, he, he fights the battle, he defeats the enemy of Sodom, he rescues Lot from Sodom. And afterwards, Lot goes back to Sodom. Because you just gotta fast forward back into Genesis chapter 18 and there he is again. And he's at the gates of Sodom when the angels come to destroy the city. Went right back to it. Man, the pull of the world is strong. Even when we get saved and pulled out of it, we just kind of like wander right back into it, don't we? This is, this is the stronghold that we're dealing with in our American age right now, in our age of promise and prosperity. This is the stronghold. And it's all, listen to me very carefully, temporary. There's another place in the Bible where it talks about Melchizedek in Psalm 110, verse four. And it's a royal psalm. It means that this psalm is talking about Jesus. And the way that this psalm decides to tell us about Jesus is by referencing Melchizedek. And it says this in verse four, you, the Lord has sworn forever, you are a priest forever after the order of who? Melchizedek, the Lord is at your right hand. Now this is talking about Jesus. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his, he will shatter who? He'll shatter who? Kings. He'll shatter the people who look like they can offer you the goods. On the day of his wrath, he will, verse six, he will execute judgment among the what? 
nations, filling them with corpses. He'll shatter the chiefs over the wide earth. In other words, there's one king, and that king is coming back in judgment. And what everybody is chasing the good life and ignoring the scriptures and ignoring Christ right now doesn't realize is that it's just a waiting game and the clock is ticking down on the final judgment of God's true and righteous Melchizedek as king, Jesus Christ, who is coming back in judgment. And right now, America is playing a fool's game thinking we're getting away with anything. Scripture talks about the end time judgment that's coming upon the world at the hands of God's true king. In Revelation 18, um, there's another city that shows up. It's called Babylon. It's an ancient city. Babylon in Revelation is a picture for a nation that's gonna show up and seduce the rest of the nations in the end times. And look at the descriptor of this kingdom of Babylon. This shocked you. This shocked me when I was reading it this week. Fallen. Fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for what? Demons. A haunt for every unclean spirit. A haunt for every unclean bird. A haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And when I read that text, there's only one nation that I can think of that fits that bill. This one. This nation makes nations rich and poor depending on this nation's best interests. This nation exports sexual immorality around the world. America is the greatest exporter of pornography through the internet and through film. America is not only exporting pornography, it's exporting, it's exporting sexual confusion and homosexuality around the world and transgenderism around the world. It's gotten so bad that last year this time, the, fr the president of France, Emmanuel Macron, said, France needs to stop importing the values of America. You know your nation is off course when France says, enough. I'm, I'm just saying, like, I think it's written into their constitution you should commit adultery over there. And they're saying, oh, that's enough, America. Thank you. We're done. This country is Babylon. And here's what is going to happen at the end time when Jesus comes back in verse 9. It says this, And the kings of the earth who committed sexual morality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. There's coming a judgment at the end day when all that we think is important will come crashing down and the Lord the righteous judge will stand on the earth and settle all the debts and settle all the scores and I'm telling you you got to stand in the righteous judgment of God for your sins at the cross or you're waiting for that righteous judgment to come at the end time I thank God Jesus bore my sins on the cross so that when he comes back in judgment I'm standing with him on the earth he's my true king and I put my faith in him not just my spiritual faith but my financial faith. I always ask this question, and I want you to write it down so you can take it home with you and think about it. If I can trust Jesus with my eternal salvation, how can I not trust him with my temporal provisions? Some of you are like, I can't do it. But you're trusting him to get you to heaven. Like you trust him about that, right? Small potatoes, friend. 
compared to trusting him with your eternal salvation. And Romans chapter 8, 32 backs me up on this. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In other words, he gave you salvation. He's gonna give you everything else. He's never gonna see you suffer. He's never gonna let you struggle. He's never gonna let you go endlessly in power. And, and even if life is struggling down here, life up there is glorious. Let, number three and finally, I must define my life according to God's riches. Because the world can offer me its riches, but only God can offer me his riches. And I, I love the, this, the proverb that says, the blessing of the Lord as wealth, and he brings no problems with it. I love that proverb. I don't have it on my notes. I don't have it on the slides. You can look it up later. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no problem. There's wealth of this world, and there's a bunch of problems that come with it, but there's wealth that comes from God, and there's no problems with it. And so what you have to understand is Abram said, and I love this, I li- one, one more time, I lifted up my hand to the Lord and I said, I will not take a thing from you. Verse 23, I won't take a thread, I won't take a sandal strap, I'm taking nothing from you because you are not gonna be the one who defines me. You're not gonna be my source. Philippians chapter 4, 19, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you about our church. Six locations in three states and in two countries. How on earth did we get here? February 2013, pastor goes to a conference. Here's another pastor say, here's what we did. It changed our church's world. We started tithing as a church. And I, like you, said, oh, that'll never work. And the Lord started to work on my heart and worked on our executive pastor, Shane Parsons heart. We worked on it together. We came together, we said, look, we gotta do this. And at that time, we were bringing, as a church, maybe about $70,000 a month. That's not small change, that's big. And we were maybe around 500 people, maybe. And uh, we decided, February 2013, we're gonna tithe 10% first. And we started to pick up organizations that preach the gospel that don't belong to us, and we're gonna give money away, and we're gonna tithe as a congregation. 10% of everything that you bring in goes out, which is kind of ironic because some of you don't even give 10%. Some of you give like 1%, and we still tithe 10% on your 1%. And so it, we, we, we just decided to do it. it just, we just made the decision, either God is our source or not. One year later, our regular offerings doubled. Two years later, we launched another church. Three years later, we launched another church. And in 2020 to 2022, while the whole world was languishing under the scourge of COVID, we opened not one, not two, but three locations. And God has blessed us abundantly again and again and again because you can't outgive Him. You can't outgive him. And here's what, I, here's what I see for some of you. There is a whole area of knowing God that you are about to partake in when you test him in this, when you trust him. There's a whole area. You want success in your business, but you're not putting the source on the throne of your success. And you're gonna see when you put him on the throne of your success, when you put him on the throne of your source, the success from areas that you didn't even know windows could open are gonna come into your life. And I can't explain it, but it happens every single time. And it'll happen for you, and it's happened for me, and it's happened for this church. Last thing I want you to write down is kind of like the summation of all I've talked about. I can trust God most high because he will never let me down. He'll never let me down. 
And when you think about it, it's way more than just about you. Way more than just about you. I'm up here today preaching the gospel to you because at 10 years old, I scooted my chair up next to my father and watched him write a check to the church. And then I watched God bless him and my mother, their socks off. What will happen to your kids when God